1 John chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. I write these things to you who believe in the name of, Je of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray to God and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that he should pray about that. For those who might have a Bible and want to open it to, it'd be great to see. Look, um, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. Now notice what it actually had said. I wrote these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. I know that it's um, when a birthday comes around because my wife usually grabs a card for my grandchild, my children, and uh, anything that needs a card sent to, Andrea will buy a card and she will drop it on there. Now, she's smart enough to know that she will drop it there the day beforehand on the table and leave it there, uh, pen close by, and can you write something? She knows well enough not to do it just before I'm about to go to bed or after we've eaten dinner because that is the time I go to sleep and um, not real good with thoughts. And so <clears throat> first thing in the morning when I get up, before I go to the, um, the shop, uh, I'd start to write. And this is what um, the Apostle Paul um, John is doing. He says, I write these things to you. And I figured this is a great opportunity. I won't bemoan the fact that I've got to write uh, to my child or grandchild uh, a message, a word of encouragement of some sort. And so I try and carefully think about what would be useful for them. I'm not just going to say happy birthday, good luck, um, great to see you growing up. I want to actually say something meaningful and purposeful. And so when John gets to the end of his letter, he wants to summarise, and I don't know how many times he says it, I haven't counted it, but I know it's quite a few times, and he says, I write this for a particular reason. I want to leave you something for you to carry and take home with you. And so he says, I write. these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. In this passage, there's going to be three main things that he wants to write about. One is that you may know that you have eternal life. The second thing is that you have confidence to come before God. And the third thing is that you will pray for somebody who has sinned. Three things he wants you is imagine summarizing the whole letter that you've done into three short things. So he says, to those who have believed in the name of the Son of God, 
Recently, um, we had a, a, a butcher, he's just left us. Um, he, when we sold, uh, he left. Uh, but we were out with him. He'd worked with us for about 10 years. And what happened is that um, during that 10 years, he came to us and um, he was pretty rough uh, kind of fellow, very disciplined. He was a kickboxer, uh, Australian, Australasian champion for two years in a row as an amateur. So uh, kickboxing and fitness was his thing. Well, he was disciplined every day that he could. He was out disciplining, but his personal life was not very disciplined at all. Uh, so much so, he would laugh with the other apprentices about all the women that he'd had and who he was taking and, you know, and how he'd have a little carry bag to hold a pair of personal clothes and that sort of thing and make sure he wasn't, didn't make his way home. Gradually, as um, over the years that he'd worked for us, um, I would... One time, it's better off telling you a story, one time he, he was laughing with the guys about meeting a girl down in one of the cafes and that she was either discounting the meal that he was buying, the chips and the hamburger, et cetera, um, and he reckoned that this was really funny and I took him to task. I said, how dare you? If you did that in my shop, I would sack you. So why are you doing that? to another girl and taking advantage of her and, and dishonouring her boss just for your gain and just for your pleasure. Well, that shut him up. Another time he was laughing about how um, <clears throat> he'd gone out with this girl for quite some time and then uh, he dropped her. And uh, he was laughing with the guys about how funny it was that she went into tears and... and Rendered and raved, so much so she even sent me a note um, and all um, most of the businesses in Young sent him a note about there's this stray dog that goes by the name um, that he had and uh, sent it to all the businesses, so much so that one of the pubs put it on the counter. And it was quite embarrassing and I had to ring him and say, hey, it's your day off. This is the letter I've just got. Oh, he said, oh, I was hoping it wouldn't affect your business. He came in and he met with us. I sat down and had a coffee with him. And I said, mate, the kind of guy you are, you want your daughter to go out with a bloke like you? No. You want your son to become like you? No. Am I going to lose my job? I said, I believe that my God is bigger than what your indiscretions are, your lifestyle is. So even though people are walking into the shop and they are laughing and pointing the finger, oh, he's that guy, because so many people had seen the sign. Gradually, this guy gets to the point where he actually does marry a girl, and she happens to have some Christian upbringing. He marries her, we're at the wedding, and uh, <clears throat> through a series of events, they were, weren't married for long, and they got trouble in the camp. So much so that Andrew and I were there one um, Sunday, uh, one day, and um, Andrew was looking after the kids while we were trying to reconcile a problem. So much so that it got to the point when I thought, oh, this is going really, really well. We're getting people to talk and it's all good. 
uh, eventually she snaps and he takes off the wedding ring and sits it on the table and says, if that's the way you believe or we're going to behave, it's over. We go back and we, um, we're having a meal and, and uh, she's all teary and saying, I realise I've stuffed up. And he's, um, he says, look, you, by this stage, he'd actually know, um, we'd share the gospel with him and that sort of thing. And he comes to the point and he says, look, just trust Jesus. Which is kind of ironic, isn't it? Here, I've taken my ring off. Here you go. We're part and company. Just trust Jesus. You say it. Now I'm saying it to you. Trust him. And I said to Al, who do you say Jesus is? Why do you say trust him? Well, he's Lord and Saviour. I said, Alan, is he your Lord and Saviour? And he said, yes. At that point, he makes a decision to follow and recognise who he is. That's who John's talking to. He believes in the name of the Son of God, that Jesus Christ is Lord and Saviour. Long story short, they're still together. So if that's what it's about, that who is um, you believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. If I was to ask you a question, how would you explain eternal life? Any guesses? You can phone a friend. You can ask your next-door neighbour. How would you describe eternal life? It's one of those churchy words that um, we've sort of got a handle, but we sort of don't. Any guesses? Ooh. Sorry? Life forever with Jesus. Absolutely. Any other pictures that you might get with what is eternal life? I'm going to throw a few in there for you. If I was to describe eternal life from the scriptures and especially from 1 John, because he mentions it over, over and over again from the beginning of the letter right to the very end, he says it's lasting, it's uncorruptible, it's the kind of life you cannot ruin. It's got quality. It actually doesn't fade and it doesn't devalue. It's got longevity. It's not just about life when you get it, but it starts now. It's not, if I was to use a picture, you guys buy utes for farms and you go, wow, this is the best ute I've ever had. I know because my son's done it. Best ute I've ever got. It's got a tip and tray and all. (laughs) but now five years on the thing is I son you want me to pick up sheep you want me to drop off sheep or you want me to do something I'm scared of taking it because it doesn't last eternal life is not like that it lasts it's consistent you see one of the things we um, guys come to me and looking for a job And then they tell me, how good is this job? Thank you, Gaz. This is a great job that you've given me. 
And I'm knowing, I know that in within a three or four months, it becomes boring. I've got a new career. Thank you, guys. And all of a sudden, it becomes monotonous and slow, and that is not eternal life. If that is your life with Christ, you do have to question, do I have eternal life? And he's saying that if you believe that Jesus is Lord and Saviour, you have it. And I want you to know that you have it. He says, you know that you have it because it does not come from you but from above. Anything that you purchase here on earth does not last. But eternal life does last because it doesn't come from here. It comes from above and God gives it to you as a gift only because you believe in the Son of God and it's yours and you take delivery of it. And it becomes a part of your life. 1 John 2. The life has appeared. We have seen it. We testify it. And we proclaim it to you. Eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. See, its origin is not from you. That's why it's always better. Anything that you have here, eternal life is better. Eternal life leaves all other lives for dead. This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who is not the son of God has not life. He makes it abundantly clear that it is in Christ Jesus. On top of that, in chapter 4, he just says, in this world, we are like Jesus. You see, it's not that all of a sudden it's a gift that's given to you after you die, but it's given to you presently because you have Jesus Christ and you are like him in this world. Thus, you have eternal life. It is yours. And Jesus actually displayed. It is the life that he lived on this earth that he displays eternal life that he gives life to people through the work that he does, through the words that he carries and the attitude that he carries it with. I don't say or do anything. Imagine that. I don't say or do a thing without the Father's permission. See, it's born from above. It comes from him and I give it to you. Jesus displays it here. I want you to know that you have eternal life. Verse 14, he says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that, what, that we have what we have asked of him. In other words, we can have confidence if we've got eternal life, that God actually hears you. So there are two things but two conditions, two promises, two conditions. The first condition is if we ask. It is a pattern of Scripture. When Jesus talks about you pray the Lord's Prayer, 
You ask, I give. It doesn't happen around the way that God just gives without you asking. You ask, he gives. Condition number one. The second condition is according to his will. Well, how do I know that it's his will? Would would God, your request, would God actually put his stamp on it? Does it display his character, his purpose? That's how I know whether or not I'm praying in God's will. You see, sometimes we ask for things and they're not according to his will because you can obtain them by your own effort. Oh, I want to have peace and rest in my life, Lord. Would you give it? Well, hang on. Who's the one who upset the relationship in the first place? You did? Or they did? Jesus, talking about prayer, says, if you know that somebody has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go and be reconciled to them. See, there's something that you can do. Whereas this request, and why is it that we want to choose and ask for things that not only can I achieve on my own good merits, why would we ask for things that are so petty when you can ask for things that are eternal? Like God, he says, you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. Why don't you? If you know how to do it, why don't you ask the Father and he will give you the Holy Spirit. That's the thing you're asking for. Because the very thing that is according to his will is that you become more in step with the Father, that your relationship with him becomes warmer and closer, that you feel more comfortable within his presence, that your conscience does not convict you. You want to get that right. So John, in the beginning of his letter, says, if anybody sins, what does he do? Confess. And he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The two promises are that he will hear us and we will have what we have asked from him. The interesting part about this is that firstly, he says, we can approach, what will we ask? The third thing, sorry, verse 16. If you see your brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. There's a couple of things there that I want to point out. Like I, I don't want you to get distracted with, I wonder what the sin is that leads to death. Oh, you're kidding me, man, because that's the first thing that we go to. But the bigger point, the first big point is that if you see any brother or sister, if you see a Christian who sins, you should pray. I know you're still, some of you will be thinking, but what's the sin that leads to death? All right, I'll, I'll touch on it. Not because I want to, because I... um. I know that it bothers us. Some people have said, like to think of it, um, is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. 
here I can see the work of God, but I declare it's a part of the devil's work. That's what the scribes and the Pharisees did with Jesus. And Jesus said it's an unpardonable sin. But I'm, you could talk about what Paul says when it comes to false teachers, Hymenaeus. He said, like, I've, I've handed them over to Satan, like the guys that have gone down the wrong track and they destroy the faith of son. Is that the unforgivable sin that you don't pray for them? The problem is that it says if you see a brother or sister, this is a Christian, somebody who is seeking to work, walk with Christ. So does it apply then? I don't think so. I'd like to give you a definite, but I don't think so. I'm going to leave you with some options. I was thinking too that um, somebody who's afraid, Ananias, he gets a vision from God and says, look, there's this guy called um, Saul. He's praying um, and he sees this guy, you, who's going to come along and put your hand on him and give her his story sight. The Lord never says to him, pray for him. He says, he's already praying. I want you to go. And he says, I- I've heard about this guy. Not going. I'm afraid of him. And the, Lord, and the Lord says to him, go. So he goes and he does it. He doesn't ask to pray for it. Is that the kind of sin that you don't pray for, that somebody who's been totally rebellious towards God and all the actions, you don't pray for him, just go and do the ministry that you're asked to do. In John's gospel, two times he says, I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. In other words, there are times when um, believers get an idea in our heads that this is going to be really good. And instead of leading you closer to Christ, they lead you further away. I know that you wouldn't have that problem here in a little safe place like Area Park, but in Young, we've had quite a few people who have tried to make the issue of COVID a spiritual issue. And I'm saying to him, it's not a spiritual issue. It is one that you will decide for yourself and you can decide whether or not to have the jab or whether or not it's real and that sort of thing. Because, and I say it's not a spiritual issue, in the sense that it is applied to every Australian. Whether you go to the pub, you're not allowed to go to the pub. If you're not allowed to go to the church, you're not allowed to go to church. They made it a blanket Thing. They weren't singling out Christians. They weren't singling out Muslims. They weren't singling out uh, just pub people. They singled out every Australian. So it became a health issue. That's, that was one of the concerns that we had. I had one lady in, um, who worked for us who's a Christian. She said, I don't know whether I should or shouldn't. And I didn't tell her that you should or you shouldn't. I said, as for me, I said, Leanne, what would you choose? What is the Lord telling you? What scripture will you use? Don't use hearsay. I want you to use scripture. And she said, I don't know what scripture. As for me, I said, I want to go and to the hospital. And when the hospital calls me and says, could I visit this person? I teach or I have been teaching scripture. If I want to go to the school, I love teaching scripture and I love children and I love the gospel 
And so Ephesians 5 stood out to me, chapter uh, verse 2, where it says, do everything out of love. And then the context is, Jesus gave up his life for me. So I said, if you're afraid that this injection might shorten your life and that you'll come down with a thing, I said, I'm willing to die if it gives me an opportunity to tell the gospel to somebody. If that's what the government requires, I'll do it. There are some people, he says it twice, dear children, do not let anybody, do you pray for them? He says, no. So who are we praying for? I think the context will give us a fairly good clue. One is, do you see a brother or sister commit a sin? The first thing is, you see that God gives you a vision into somebody's life that you see them slipping up, falling away, about fading or erring in some way in the Christian walk, and you see it, that's a vision from him. That's um, discernment. And then he says, the first thing you're to do is to pray. Is it to gossip? Is it to criticise? You see, the first thing we are so used to doing is that we criticise and say, "Uh uh-uh, you know what they're up to? And he says, no. One of the things that um, Paul writes about is, Take every thought captive. Every thought. Now, why would he say take every thought captive if our thinking is mostly wrong? The first thought that you have will usually be wrong because the first thing that reacts is your spirit inside of you and not the Holy Spirit. So stop. Take the thought captive and then... Don't talk about it, pray about it. And that's what he says. And God will give them life. God gives us life. God is willing to let you impart life to somebody. You see, we have insight. It says you should pray, which means that you might not pray. It's not like follow me, you don't have a choice, you must follow him. So take each thought captive and God will give them life and God gives life through our requests. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that reminds us afresh of what uh, you desire from us that acknowledge who Jesus Christ is. For Lord for, for us, with all our flaws and with all our weaknesses, for all our experiences of life, and we put it against the Lord Jesus. And we ask, Father, that we might know how to declare Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Father, give us a heart for people. Give us a heart to be walk with you and to talk with you and to talk about people who are around us so that we might grow together as iron sharpens iron so does one person sharpen another may we sharpen one another and all the more as we see the the day approaching when you'll return
In Jesus' name, amen.